Conjuring with you and of course Christian Malinsky Stern. Well, I've been called ghost hunters, a uh, paranormal researcher, but I prefer to be known as Christian and Christian Morosky. <laughs> and with our The Conjuring tagline, Kelly Wand. Eh. Ow. Oh man, that, that bodes ill for The Conjuring, don't you think, Tingus? Uh, that hurt me. Let me look in my mirror real quick and see if I can see something, <laughs> some other tagline. Now, before we talk about The Conjuring, I don't, we don't want to spoil it for anyone who may not have seen it yet and doesn't want it spoiled. Uh, important big news going on this week. Everybody's following this. this. This happens every year. It's a big deal. Us movie geeks get, you know, we, we watch for it. it. It means a lot to us. Uh, we, we look, we sort of parse it and we talk about it. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Forbes' list of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. That just was released. Uh, scanning the list, I noticed, uh, you know, at the top of it, Robert Downey Jr., who plays the the Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes and all that stuff. Uh, number one. <laughs> number five, by the way, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Wait, hold on. Well, let's keep going down the list. Let's see. Where's Harrison Ford? Is he the two, three, or four? No, he's not there. Let's see. Six, seven, eight, nine, two. Whoa, no Harrison Ford on the list. So I believe what this proves, Kelly Wand is that as to the question of who is the better actor, the marketplace has spoken. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Forbes is the acting ability market uh, researchers. Runners <laughs> 2 was the number one movie last weekend, so by a big guess, the list. best actor. <laughs> uh, what a, what, I don't know who this Dwayne Johnson guy is, though. I mean, has he been in any movies? Dingus, you probably know him more as The Rock because you're a wrestling enthusiast. Oh, that's right. Can you smell the Johnson's cooking? I did watch, what was the, uh, oh, dadgummit, was it called Snitch? It's it's the movie where he basically played Harrison Ford's role, but he was way too buff and and tough. He plays the owner of a truck driving company who falls in, whose son steps on him, no, it's his son, gets busted for this innocent drug trafficking thing where it's not really his fault, but he got popped with a bunch of ecstasy that he was holding for someone else. The movie makes pains to make it clear that this is a good kid. So he gets arrested, and they're like, hey, if you turn in another drug dealer, we'll let you go, which is apparently how the law works. And he doesn't know any other drug dealers because he's just a good kid. So The Rock, who is his dad and who's just a regular hardworking guy who runs a company and is successful, The Rock has to go undercover as to find a drug dealer he can turn in in lieu of his son being able to turn one in. Which, again, that's apparently how the law works. If you get arrested and you can't give them a bigger bad guy, your family can go out on their own and get a bigger bad guy. Right. Um, so You can just go talk to the guy who gives you all of your steroids, and that way you'll find the bad guy. Well, so here's the deal, Angus. Because The Rock runs this trucking company, he knows a lot of blue-collar workers, you see. So some of them – and he's a really good, decent guy who's not – he's perfectly willing to hire people with criminal records to give him a second chance. He's good-hearted that way, but it pays off because he can find a guy with a criminal record and say – 
I'm looking to move some drugs with this company. Can you help me? So that's how he ends up. <laughs> is that how he says it? Basically, the whole point of the, the whole deal of the movie is it really is a Harrison Ford type role where he's supposed to just be an everyman. Who, Undercover. Yeah, and, and he's supposed to like look out of place. But when he's in with all these like drug dealers, who basically the movie like gets stuntmen to play the thugs and whatnot, and The Rock fits in perfectly. Like it's like he totally looks like he belongs there. They're trying to sell this idea that he's ill at ease and he's sort of a stuffed shirt, uptight guy. But no, he's the freaking Rock. Uh, it totally should have been. Ford. So you're saying it's an obvious uh, the head of a trucking company is clearly a Harrison Ford role. Exactly. Right. Who's yeah. more of a trucking company head than Harrison Ford? Well, what, unfortunately, you're making Tom's point because The Rock can play a Harrison Ford role, but could Harrison Ford play a Rock role? Now, see, here, here thing is, though, is where I'm going to have to maybe scuttle my own point because The Rock didn't really pull it off. I mean, he looks oh. so out of place. There are a few scenes where he's he's trying to do that. I forget the actor who plays his son, but he goes to see his son in prison. And the, the, the kid playing his son is, like, really good. And you can tell he's, like, a capable actor. And he's, he's trying to be conflicted. And he's crying. And The Rock is supposed to have this emotional, heartfelt scene with him. And uh, Dwayne just is not quite up to it. <laughs> I mean, he's really trying. And he's a likable guy, but... When I was a kid, and I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm -hmm. I, uh, your people who look like The Rock were like the bald dude in Raiders of the Lost Ark who gets killed by Propeller. Because when he comes out, you go, oh shit, Harrison Ford, that much smaller actor, is going to get his ass kicked by that gigantic dude. This is going to be an awesome fight. Ah, Propeller. But now, it's just like the bald dude's <laughs> the star of the movie, and you're lionizing him. You're not... Only <laughs> only Dwayne Johnson. What? That's the same thing, though. It's like if no, he's so too big, he's not a good protagonist. He's too big looking to be a plot. Oh. No, you're fair enough. Fair enough. Unless it's a goof to goofy effect, like in the Tooth Fairy, or or you know that Babysitter right. Commando thing with Hulk Hogan, or whatever that is. Um, Spice through the Kessel Run. <laughs> muscle. So at any rate, regardless of who's the, who's the better actor, we know according to Forbes magazine who's uh, getting more money from the American public. So, oh. wow, there you go. It's another data point. <laughs> You it's just amazing to me that Robert Downey Jr. has come back so far. To be I know, there. I know. <laughs> Isn't I that awesome? I just can't believe that. I'm so happy for him, but it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And he makes CG look good. Like, CG say, like, he outacted it. Now, I'm I was like, wondering about the meetings that must have happened between, oh, like, John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. and whoever is, like, greenlighting the decision so that he gets to this point. I'm this smart. I can't believe well, that. I, the uh, big beneficiary from all this are probably all these bond companies that got paid a lot of money in order for Robert Downey Jr. to be cast. Uh, Iron Man was such a third stringer superhero back then that the, the Marvel kind of blew him off, like gave him way more leeway and ignored Kelly Wan, you watch your mouth. I won't have you talking about Tony Stark and Iron Man that way. Wait, I'm praising him. I'm saying you're gonna you're gonna find yourself floating home in a minute. <sighs> This is the worst right. cast I've ever heard. Uh, one thing about the list uh, that I was a little this this happens every year. The highest paid actress is nowhere near the lowest paid on the top ten as far as actors. For whatever reason, men just make all the freaking money in Hollywood. You can get someone hugely successful like uh, like Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Aniston is consistently on it. Uh, even Sofia Vergara, by the way, makes huge, huge TV money. Um, but they're nowhere near the, the bottom of the men's list for, for Forbes, so they get their own list. Uh, so I'm really disappointed to see no women there, and this is particularly true 
after a little homework I did this week, which I'm guessing neither of you could be arsed to do, I did go see The Heat. Who here besides me saw The Heat? Hands? I saw the trailer. It looked pretty fun. Just what I thought. Uh, uh, <laughs> Kelly, one, you didn't miss anything. David, David, what? David, what? I don't trust you. Uh, you know what? You're not, you don't have to say No, not... Well, I wouldn't say... Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put it that way. Not, not that you didn't miss anything. Just that I don't necessarily think... It's a, a great movie. I'm not think, It's not like Bridesmaids. It's like, oh, good Lord, you should totally go see it. But what it is, though, is an example of a strictly formulaic buddy cop movie where the actresses are really, really good with each other. Man, I liked both of them so much. The movie itself, as far as the script, as far as, as, far as what Paul Feig does with the direction, uh, there's really not much to it. Um, but the two of them, uh, they're just... Uh, That's enough, though, isn't it? Oh, it was for me. I mean, I'm not saying I regretted seeing it, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend. It's not like, for instance, Bridesmaids, where I'd be like, "Oh, you got to see that." Uh, well, you know. And there's some there's some good jokes in it, and just Melissa McCarthy is just so. You know, I talked about really liking watching Seth Rogen work when even if I don't like the movie, and that was one of the few things I enjoyed about This is the End, I just feel that way about like Melissa McCarthy, too. Just the way she acts and interacts with people, it's just so naturalistic, and and she could have chemistry with a brick wall. Oh, but the other thing, uh, man, Sandra Bullock, Kelly Wan, you said something about missing her, I think, last week? or. I yeah. haven't seen her or anything. For well, me. you should see this then, because again, she's just. You know, here's what the thing. I remember uh, Al, uh, Alfonso Cuaron. Am I saying his name right? The Children of Men, dude. Uh, his next movie is called Gravity, and all I know about it is it's some sci-fi thing with George Clooney. I'm okay with that, and Sandra Bullock. At which point I go, oh, really? But after seeing The Heat. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, totally, yeah. Let's see Sandra Bullock do what presumably is a, is a dramatic role. Um, so there's a great scene, Kelly Wan, that I knew you would appreciate. Uh, we've talked before about Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in the bathroom in Silver Streak and how much I hate that scene. I just hate it so much. There's a version of that kind of thing in The Heat, which uh, which I so love. I just love that scene between... See, it's a free pass for you if there's vaginas. That's the thing about you. Uh, uh it's just that it's it you know it, that's the thing is it's a it's a buddy cop movie that you would normally have Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in, uh, or you would have you know Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds you know R.I.P.D. Uh. But it's 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 uh, Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy and they're just so good together. It doesn't matter if they're dudes or chicks. Um, it's just it's two actors who are really good and they also happen to be women. Um, well, I like both. Um, is it along the same level as Identity Thief? No, it's way, way more competent than that, as far as how okay. it all works together. Because Identity Thief is, you know, the mis- mismatched pair on the road trip kind of thing. And and it doesn't – I don't think Identity Thief hangs together as well as the heat overall. Okay, but what I, I remember is that how good she was at having chemistry with – Yes. With you know, yes, but here's the thing is I think doing a buddy cop picture more than this, let's have two people – you know, on a road trip, and then let's throw in shenanigans with other characters chasing them. Uh, I think the buddy cop structure is is much more uh, established, and you can hit certain beats. It's a better support structure for their chemistry, I guess I would say. Okay. Um, so, uh, so there you go. So there, there's my heat report. Yes, Kelly Wand. I just want to see it. Sounds good. Well, I 
Yeah. Like, Dingus had a little time today where he could have snuck out to see it, and he was like, should I bother? And I was like, well, not necessarily. But mm. I, I did enjoy it, and I really do like the two of them a lot. Uh, so in that regard, I absolutely recommend it. So there you go. Well, okay. <laughs> and, and plus, I would have enjoyed a Hetopsis. Uh, see, comedies are not good to do. <laughs> unless they're horror as well. Well, you know what? Hold that thought, Kelly Wand, because, Dingus, what did we do this week? Oh, uh, this week we went to see The Conjuring. <laughs> Why are you just laughing? What the hell is the matter with you two? Because I thought I thought Kelly Bond was going to make some sort of noise after I said conjuring. I just, I just liked how you said it. That. It was cute. It conjuring. Like, yeah, maybe it brought me back to the movie again. <laughs> it reminds me of the way Tom says "born supremacy." So we saw the conjuring. Oh, hey. what, you guys are on? what speech impediment, Tom? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> born supremacy. <laughs> what? Say again. Say born, born supremacy. supremacy? <laughs> Is he doing it? What are you talking about, Dick? I know the born supremacy. Born he su- says it like like uh, Jason Bourne had a bowl of soup and then went to remacy. It's not supremacy for Tom. It's the born supremacy. Dick, when you go to Taco Bell and you want something more than just a taco, you get a taco supreme, right? Uh, I can't tell if he's doing something or not. It's I'm not doing anything. I'm saying words. Dingus is in my head. Dingus somehow mysteriously believes are are spoken differently. Born Supremacy, Taco Supreme, the Supreme. Yeah, he, he he even heard it that time. So well, either, I, don't, I don't know. He's really banged, obviously, is the clear takeaway. <laughs> Born Supremacy. Is it is because it he's saying Supremacy or Supremacy? Because I think I just ign- I turned the U into an apostrophe. No one says Taco Supreme. It's the Taco Supreme. Oh, I, can, I see what Dingus is saying. You are weird. I am not. You guys. Anyways. <laughs> I think it's so. The Conjuring, right? <laughs> the, con- the Conjuring. Um, the Conjuring is a 2013 American supernatural horror, absolutely 100% based on true life events movie. Yes. <laughs> about a game I've never heard of called Hide and Clap that gets out of hand. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> what? Tom's doing sex jokes? <laughs> what? It was directed by James Wan and written by Chad Hayes and Carrie Hayes. It was called The Warren Files for a short time. Uh, it stars Lily Taylor, Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Ron Livingston, Shannon Cook, and... <laughs> uh, I like Dingus. The, the Conjuring is rated R. Hmm. For sequences of disturbing violence and terror. Mm. Sequences. Always too much. The Conjuring opened at number one this weekend. Uh, James Wan. Actually, this whole school of horror movies where you make them fairly cheap and, whoa, they they open at number one and they make big money. The Conjuring is definitely in that league. It opened at number one with $42 million. It was it made cheaply because it's okay. Never mind. Probably. I mean, I don't know, but it's probably like a twenty million dollars. Just thinking about the the period. period. No, that doesn't cost much. I mean, all right. (laughs) When they played some music for five seconds, that was the extent. And that probably cost turtleneck. Yeah, Yeah, the music probably cost more than the costumes. Yeah, they didn't do a Woodstock. uh, But not all the music, just that one theme that Mark 
Isham did. Uh, tap oh. <laughs> Uh, so Conjuring also did fairly well critically uh, well you know what let's see what Kelly Wand thinks of this Kelly Wand Metacritic is the average rating of various reviews on Metacritic the Conjuring is at 68 however Kelly Wand on Rotten Tomatoes which is the percentage of reviews which are overall positive the Conjuring is at 85% uh, Kelly Wand yeah what does that teach us Kelly Wand that I can no longer predict what anyone's going to think of anything i see well can you at least then give us a conjuropsis wait what's what's your takeaway if any just i'm a little surprised um i you know i'm not surprised having seen it we'll talk about that in a little bit really uh, but well horror movies tend to skew lower i i think no there gets that one's those are high scores no, that's what I'm saying, is people tend to be, most critics tend to be more dismissive of horror movies. Um, but, uh, well, I'll, I want to save uh, what I think for when I talk about whether or not I liked it. Um, mass callback later from Tom. Okay. But basically, Kelly Wand, I'm not that surprised at the positive reception for reasons that we'll get into later. But first, Kelly Wand, one of the things I've been looking forward to since seeing this movie is a conjopsis. Uh, that's a hint right there. That Tom's looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I know. He always, yeah, he's always the first to call out. Up, oh, gave it away, gave it away. But he says that, although he does say it every week, doesn't he? Maybe Kelly, why you can give us your your conjuring tagline again? How did that go? Your canopsis. What is it? Wait, how did I want to hear that tagline again? Because I think that Kelly, what's the tagline for the conjuring? Eh. <laughs> I think Kelly Wand tipped his hand way before I did. All right, so Kelly Wand, is it a conjopsis? That's what I'd like to think no, it is. No, I'm sorry. It's a what conjuropsis. Conjuropsis. All right, well, Kelly Wand, I want you to drift it like you stole it. Mm. What? Yeah, I agree with Dingus. He's your very good friend. Uh, the conjuropsis. A cure. Oh, uh, fuck. Curacurasala. <laughs> <laughs> Edit this out and everything else I say. The conjuropsis. A courier font on the movie screens all. The title of the movie you're about to see is true. Everything after that's bullshit, suckers. <laughs> Warning, conjuring entertainment may not occur in actual movie. A scared 1960s chick sitting next to a friend on a couch is all. Thanks for seeing this, Bob Odenkirk, mom from Orphan. Odenkirk's all. Bob <laughs> <laughs> <Off> Odenkirk. <laughs> right? Audience for this joke. Yeah, I think he's had some work done. <laughs> too. Audience for this joke. Wait, you think I'm skewing too? Am I dating? Never mind. Odenkirk's all. Seeing's what we do entirely. That's why psychics are also known as seers. Not that I'm psychic. That'll be $1,000. The girl's all. Shouldn't we tell you what happened? He's all. That's extra, but go ahead. She's all. All right, so this demon asked to be our roommate and for us to find a creepy doll from the 1890s to possess. So we were all sure. And we either bought a doll or had it lying around. We aren't listening. <laughs> nope, we're not. Oh, Kirk's all two girls living together in an apartment, eh? In 1968? Mm-hmm. What's up with that? She's all, we're both lesbians. He's all, eh. All right, all right. So, Sades of Ventriloquists, go on. She's all, so the demon's name was Annabelle. I don't know what the doll's name was. By the way, I'm the other girl talking now. I'll ask the questions here, lesbian. And any more lip out of you, I'm going to do it using the Ouija board. Now, in my experience, most modern dolls are usually named Pazuzu. (laughs) (laughs) Or Laconic Tina. 
Now, what possessed you to possess a possessed doll? See what I did there, Mildred? Honey. Guess she's in a trance. Uh, so how creepy was the doll, Miss Number One, on a scale of six to sixty-six? Meh. Okay, that's definitely Lucifer. All right, then what? She's all, oh, nothing really. Like we told you guys 20 minutes ago on the phone before you barged in here with your cameraman. <laughs> Odin Kirk's all, define nothing, please, at length. She's all, well, it kept writing Miss Me in red crayon all over everything, including the memo line on her share of the rent, so we just went, fuck it, and threw her ass in a dumpster. Odin Kirk's all, okay, you generally don't want a priest to do that for you. All trash, actually. Then what? She's all, uh, nothing. It hasn't bothered us ever since. Will you guys please go now? <laughs> <laughs> the words the end and a question mark appear and we hear a film projector turn off Odenkirk turns on the lights and paces at the front of a packed classroom he's all 16 millimeter film can't lie unless it's possessed or filled with special effects and foley work less importantly my wife used her psychic powers in the white pages to find that dumpster and we now have that doll locked in a glass case in our basement. It's kind of like the warehouse of the end Raiders, except nothing's boxed. Anyway, what are me and my wife, you and tax lawyers, like to ask? Some people call us demonographers or ponymancers. <laughs> Orphan moms all. Or liars who exploit the grief of the emotionally vulnerable and simple-minded. The kids all laugh and exchange peace signs. <laughs> Ponymancers. You hear that, Tom? <laughs> Odenkirk's all. So any questions? Uh, yes, girl number two from the doll movie. The girl's all, yeah, so should me and Becky here throw out all the red crayons, too? Not even sure why we have those, since we're college age. <laughs> <laughs> Odenkirk's all, college, eh? Hear that, Mildred? Honey? Okay, Mildred's tranced out again. That snoring noise coming from her psychic nostril there is probably some ancient Mesopotamian dialect that demons use. Meanwhile, Ron Livingston and Lily Taylor park in a haunted driveway. Lily Sobieski. Lily Taylor. Oh, that's someone else I miss, Lily Sobieski. He's all, look, honey, the house we bought looks expensive, huh? Although I think I'm in construction. She's all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was worried this one was too long, but now I'm worried it's not long enough. That's what she said. She's all, at least this isn't the haunting. Their five daughters giggle and run up the stairs and trip and fall down at one by one. She's all, oh yeah, where's our dog? He's all, she's afraid to come inside. Let's ignore it. Like, Should we fear? He's all, nah, I got her on a chain. <laughs> uh, number one movie. She she want the <laughs> we didn't know it. Sorry. I'm gonna mute my I think that's verbatim from the movie, by the way, Angus. So you're making fun of real dialogue. Did no. David Cross say that? What's her face? Go find Mommy Jr. Number two goes down to the haunted dirt and goes, Hey, daughter number four, Mom and Dad said come inside. They want to see the lake for a while, and you know the rules. No supervision. Uh, music box, something, something. After a night of screams and bleeding walls, Lily Taylor wakes up with bruises and goes, Honey, you and your bruise fetish, why didn't these wake me up? He's all, uh. Meanwhile, Odenkirk's showing his black friend the evil toy room. And this is the ordinary cardboard box we keep the possessed paper sack in. Oh, shit, looks like a cat got in here. Yeah. The dude's all, damn, you let your kid live in the same house? You motherfuckers are idiots. 
hey, he waves a 10 spot. Anyway, I get a gander at that doll in the glass case right in front of me. Odenkirk takes his money and stuffs it down his pants. Ten seconds, the cop opens his eyes and stares at the doll. Damn. Odenkirk's all saying that's extra. Hey, you wouldn't be offended if we use the white mustached cop for house calls from now on. The cop's all, shit, Odenkirk, you ain't changed a bit. Hey, how much to see that grandma character? Odenkirk saw how much you got. Meanwhile, back at the story, the daughter's all, Mommy, can we play walk around blindfolded bumping into shit near the stairs? <laughs> Dingus, ruining my... The movies... Never mind. Lily Taylor's all, all right, but no catching me this time. She walks around with her eyes shut, groping at nothing while a nearby wardrobe creaks irritably. <laughs> Sidebar, this just in, wardrobe sues filmmakers. That night, Odenkirk's all, remember what I said on her wedding night while we had sex? She's all, yeah, let's write a book instead. She touches his arm. The book was short, too, and disputed <laughs> by scientists. Uh, dingus, do you hear that? The book was short, too, and disputed by scientists. I was, uh, Potty man, sorry, sorry. Right. Back at the story, Lily Taylor hears ghost noises and follows them to the top of her haunted stairs to the basement. She's all, all right, ghost demon, I'm locking you in here. Looks like possession's 10% of the law. This, All right, so you closed the door in my face and made me fall down a flight of stairs. Think you're pretty ghostly. Well, guess what? I'm already bruised all over from those times you fucked with me asleep. Game, set, and match, bitch. Oh, shattering the light bulb? Guess what again? I got a whole box of matches, and I'm going to light them one after... Holy fuck, clapping! Let me out! (laughs) Ron Livingston and her look up bullshit in the yellow pages and get the paranormal couple to swing by. I take it they get her out of the basement, by the way. Anyway, Odenkirk's all, Ron Livingston, I presume. He smells the air. Yeah, definitely a witch pissed about real estate. (laughs) (laughs) Or the radishes I had for lunch. Crickets. Orphan mom's eyes roll into her head, and she gropes around, knocking a bunch of shit off the mantelpiece. The spirits mutter, nothing of interest will happen here. Ron Livingston takes out his wallet. Wow, that's amazing. How much do we owe you, Odenkirk? Well, you need to give us the house at least, although I'm not going to lie to you about this one part. Since it's haunted, it's not worth as much. Lily Taylor's all, what are we up against? Odenkirk stomps the floor a couple times and taps a wall and sledgehammers a TV and walks around with his arms folded like he's thinking. Then he's all, definitely a category B. Yeah, so horror movies come in three phases. You get your cat scares, your near misses, and finally you got your exposition. <laughs> Livingston's all, we don't have a cat. To be honest, having five daughters feels sort of like having ten cats. <laughs> Lily Taylor's all, one of my daughters keeps bumping her head into a wardrobe. It's fucking annoying. Odenkirk's all, like in Dark Skies? Livingston's all, just like it. Wow, you guys are amazing. He takes out his wallet again. We're broke as fuck. I can only pay you in wallets. Or undying gratitude. Odenkirk's all, no, we'll take the wallets. You got change for a fanny pack? Lily Taylor's all, Dr. Odenkirk, does rotting meat smell count as a near miss? I guess not for the cow. Odenkirk's all, it's technically all three, man, but since movies are a visual medium, your average audience can't smell movie meat, so that's mostly exposition. Livingston's also, should we get a cat? My wife and I have always talked about getting a wooden doll before daughter number six, but since this is an emergence, Odenkirk's all, interrupting these extra, but yeah, cat scares include dead dogs, also, birds doing stupid shit. Birds fucking hate exorcism. 
Livingston's out. Why don't we just move, Oh, Kirk I'm afraid we wouldn't be able to charge you for that. Plus, evil spirits are like gum on your shoe, if gum on your shoes wasn't removable. <laughs> I'm a little tired this weekend. Rod Livingston's all, but you said she's pissed about her land. If we move off the land, a mustached white cop comes out of the bathroom as the toilet flushes. They all breathe a sigh of relief, then wrinkle their noses as he finishes wiping his ass. Then throws the toilet paper behind him into the sink and shuts the door. Why? Me and the ghost both had to shit. We're all under arrest. Odin Kirk's on the cop, by the way. He's going to be living with you for the next few months, along with us and this ethnic guy we sometimes use to chat up the customers and photograph us standing around holding equipment. The ethnic guy goes into the teenage girl's room with a bunch of equipment and goes, Hey, check this out. He waves a lava lamp in front of her face. Pretty far out, huh? She's all, yeah, groovy. He's all, hey, check this shit. You put these rocks in water, they grow. Helps kill all these sea monkeys. She's all, hey, that married couple you carry film cans around for. When the eye of... Fuck. Sorry, I swear to you, ethnic person. When the wife's eyes roll up in her head, what's that condition called? He's all, out of sight. Although I guess technically she's looking at her brain while it gets shrieked at by dead people. Listen, I know we just met, but would you be interested in talking me up to your sister, number three, meanwhile? Or dingus. Meanwhile, Odenkirk and Livingston are also doing nothing outside. Odenkirk's all, "Uh, so since you guys are broke, we're going to have to charge you extra. Also, the Salem witch hung herself from that tree. Cops estimate her death at exactly 3.07 a.m. That's all your clocks. Youngest kid, number two's all. Daddy, weren't the Salem witch trials debunked by Arthur Miller? And how'd guys in 1600 know exactly what minute a hanged woman orphan mom emerges from some bushes and goes, Not now, pumpkin. Livingston's all. I was just about to think of pumpkins. She smiles. I know. Odenkirk makes a crucifix out of ice cubes of holy water and starts superglowing it to a Christmas wreath. Livingston's all. Wow, it's like using garlic versus a vampire. Or a bullet against a serial killer, huh? Odin Kirk's all, I don't believe in serial killers. White cops all, all right, folks, I just saw a ghost in a maid outfit on the porch there, whispered dialogue at me. I thought the witch lived here. Why is she in a maid outfit? Orphan mom's eyes roll into her head. She touches the cop's mustache and goes, the spirits say nothing at all to me, ever. Her eyes unroll. What happened? They watch as an invisible spirit drags one of the girls past by her hair and down the basement stairs. Odin Kirk snips her hair and the demon loses interest and drops her. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, the demon witch can still drag around by shorter hair, but this is a better look. <laughs> It'll probably resort to her feet next, so somebody give me some shears. <laughs> Ethnic guy looks up from a Super 8 camera and goes, Didn't get the hair drag, can we do it again? Orphan mom gets possessed and falls down a haunted coal chute. Odenkirk runs to the living room and starts banging on walls. Mildred! <laughs> <laughs> I know you just fell to the basement, but I'm banging on every wall as I work my way down. <laughs> You've been in the basement. But anyway, uh, could you stop screaming till I'm done? Thanks. As usual. Meanwhile, Odin Kirk and Orphan Mom's daughter are back at their place. is all, Grandma, rocking chair, help. But Grandma is safe. As usual. Thank you, Dingus. Back in the basement, Lily Taylor is now handcuffed to a chair upside down near the ceiling. <laughs> uh, $50 million for that. <laughs> near the ceiling. 
while Odenkirk, wearing a Pope hat, stabs her away with a crucifix made out of magic wands and pages through a Bible and goes, here it is, uh, set her down. <laughs> <laughs> Louder. Uh, Livingston's all, wait, she's upside down. Won't that break her neck if we set her down? <laughs> Lily Taylor falls and breaks the second chair of the movie. Five minutes. <laughs> Ethnic guys all. Hey, witch slash doll demon. The Kidnins. Fuck, it's good to Ethnic guys all. Hey, witch slash doll demon. The kid in the other cellar's def- undefended. Hurry. Fuck. <laughs> all right, uh, 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 guys all. The kids in the other cellar undefended. Hurry. <laughs> oh, one third times. Lily Taylor tries to stab her daughter, but orphan mom tricks it by going, possess customer. Think of the beach. Think of that photograph I guess a stranger took of you all. Demons have no answer to beach photography. <laughs> the demon, the doll, the remaining chairs are exercised one by one, and the couples celebrate by coming out onto the porch. Lily Taylor's all, wow, nobody died but our dog. <laughs> hey, look, honey, sunlight and CG are making all my bruises disappear. I'll bet this part's true. Odin Kirk's all, good thing I was lying about not being able to do exorcisms. He pulls out a calculator. Okay, so the sunlight's extra. The end. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, it's trying to scare you. you know. It's like I make you laugh and then make ah, you Ah, pretty sneaky, Kelly Wand. You're still shitting yourself from laughter and then you're shitting from terror. <laughs> As God is my witness, I thought those turkeys could fly. <laughs> right, tell, tell you what, elaborate on your tagline for us. Uh, Fifty million dollars, really? For that? What was the sky? Am I okay? Forty-two. First of all, forty-two million. Oh, so oh wait, wow, well, hey, that's the number of the Harrison Ford movie that everybody was was critically acclaimed. Hmm. Forty-two wishes it made forty-two million on its opening weekend. Uh, I'm talking about math. Hello. <laughs> But more importantly, uh, I was never scared during this movie, and I was really irritated that I wasn't scared. It made me wonder if it, the flaw was with me or the movie. Like, am I yeah, I, was, I wasn't scared either, so I know totally what you mean. I was bored during this movie, and I didn't think anything was scary in it. And I was looking forward to... And it, uh, never mind. I want to hear okay. theory on why it was a popular horror. Sure, you were looking forward to what? Keep, keep going. Well, just one thing that would twist my melon... Or a gland melon, not the one Dingus likes. But just like more, there wasn't a single scare in it. I like I'd seen the trailer, and go, oh, that looks like it'll be good if I see the whole thing. And then when I saw the movie, I went, wait, that's the last shot of the movie. They didn't cut something from the end of it. Mm-hmm. They did an exception. But like everything was like that. There was nothing. I think when you make things based on a true story, I think the impl- the instinct is to play it too safe. <laughs> that's okay. right. The contrary. Right. Uh, Dingus, uh, so you uh, agree or disagree? You, I don't. Be- I think you're being facetious when you said you weren't scared either. Because I, I wasn't I heard scared it. at all. I was bored. I was checking my. I was often checking my email and my texts. Um, I wish I would have been scared, but I just wasn't scared. Yeah. I'm, I'm not scared at this kind of movie, and this one didn't scare me at all. All right. Well, uh, I'll then go to bat for it because I. Uh, I, I thought no. it was, I, I mean, I certainly... Well, I thought you were going to rebut me just then, since you were sitting next to me. Of course I was 
terrified and I loved oh, it. I didn't, I, <laughs> okay, well, I didn't know what you were doing there. If you, if you need to man up on the podcast, Dingus, I'm not going to uh, refute that. Um, but going yeah, to bat for this means making means thinking it was scary. Like no, you, I, lo- I absolutely loved it, and I was scared, and at one point I squeaked, I wish we were watching the heat. What? No way. So it makes... What? No, I'm with Dingus. I, I thought absolutely derivative. I mean, James Wan, I, I feel, um, you know, he, he's even derivative of himself. The second movie he did, I think it was called Dead Silence, and it was about creepy dolls. And it was sort of like that whole Annabelle thing, which was, didn't, I don't understand why that was in there necessarily, no. other than that it was creepy. Um, he's even derivative of himself. Um, but I think he's just really, it's effective. I thought it was just mm-hmm. really well done. Uh, I loved the look of it. I loved some of the casting. I loved some of the actors. It really had what I needed to appreciate a well-made horror movie, even though it was derivative, even though it didn't, I forgot how you put it, Kelly Wan, but it didn't do anything that I hadn't seen before. Um, right. By the time it was over, it was a little disappointingly pat. Um, it felt Considering this, that it opens with this idea of this was the Warrens' most malevolent case, right? Uh, felt a little safe. Like I, I yeah. didn't. Where was the? I mean, it, it's especially as far as the way it ended. Like, if you look at some horror movies, like um, not Insidious. What's the one where Ethan Hawke? Yeah, yeah. Like Sinister is not safe. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but some horror movies, everybody comes to a horrible ending. Other horror movies, hey, everybody's fine, and they then it ends with all the sunshine. Except the dog. The dog gets bitched as usual. And, right. You can do that. You can kill the dog, but now don't. Yeah, that's all you get to. Now do. the dog is, gets chained and beaten to death, and that's like in the Evil Dead too. And now it's just like. Every movie is kind of have a dead dog in the first twenty minutes. Well, that's kind of you know in Hollywood you can't kill the dog, so that's how a horror movie is. And I revealed. kill a dog every time, and now the law is reversed, isn't it? Right. That's, well, you yeah. can't kill a dog like in the movie Independence Day or a big budget right. action movie. Horror but movie. But in one of rest. these movies, you can kill birds and dogs, but not people. I'd like to see the dog be the survivor, and everyone else dies. That's happened. When Benji, the, the thing. What? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> uh, so. So, anyway, yeah, I did like it, and I, I would go to bathroom. That's why I'm not surprised that it reviewed well. Uh, there's just a, a lot of, and I don't mean this to sound like in, I'm damning it with faint praise, but there's a lot of competence in this movie, and that's something that I wish were more common in horror movies. It, it I think it's hard to really put my finger on why I didn't like this as much as Last Exorcism. But Last Exorcism just hears the music, and this movie doesn't. For me, like I could see every note coming before it happened. There were no good lines, and the characters. There were no rules established for it. Well, Last Exorcism is a really smart, I, I think, yeah. script. Like that's really well written, uh, and and it's also you're watching what what you think is going to be a crappy found footage movie, and it surprises you. And you're right, Kelly Wan. There's nothing like that here. This is all the usual beats. Um, you know, you, you could play a great drinking game where you spot another horror movie and you take a drink and you'll totally get trashed. Uh, you know, there was, there was I, I couldn't think of <laughs> that sounds anything. Like a <laughs> I, is there anything original in this? Like any, anything that did, like I wanted to call out the fact that it was a period movie, but I think yeah. there was even a, the recent Amityville horror re- remake was a period piece. And I guess that's yeah. not really, I, it's not really original. I mean, it's, it's like when we watched, uh. It's, it's wardrobe, yeah, and it's not much beyond ward, beyond sideburns, cars, clothes, and walls. Even doesn't care what year it is. Well, even you know, you mentioned that one gratuitous, and it so stood out. That scene where the where uh, Shannon Cook and the girl are talking, and they say "far out" and "groovy," 
And I'm like, oh, God, it's a little late in the game to be rolling out the lingo. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's a scene where uh, Bob Odenkirk goes, yo, the witch hung herself right above you. And then Livingston looks up uneasily. And then I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And then, like, they just cut to the next scene because it's supposed to be like, oh, that's funny that he stood, he's standing under it. Not, right, okay, they're setting no- you up. But there's very little uh, acknowledging the period. I mean, they, they of course, sure. use tape recorders, and they don't have cell phones. Um, but there's not much that really makes it feel like a period piece beyond some cool visuals and hairstyles. Uh, is so sort of what's left, as opposed to even Last Exorcism 2, which I would take. Well, that's my question. And maybe, Dingus, do you, do you have some ideas here? Is there anything original about this? Because I don't, I don't feel there needs to be. But is there? Is there anything original or any unique twist for you, Dingus? Uh, I don't think so, but I don't really need that. That's not why I love this movie. Uh, I don't know that there's anything original, but I, don't, I certainly don't have you guys' bona fides uh, ah. as far as uh, watching horror movies is concerned. And I love the stuff that they did with Period. I can't believe that, that they got... I don't know how they got Lily Taylor to do that. I don't know where she's been and how she got into this movie, but I'm crazy that she did. Um, I know why that Annabelle doll is there. Uh, because oh, originally the the scripts focused on the family, and then when it was rewritten, it they decided to put, place the focus on. Oh, the focused Warrens. on the Warrens. Oh, wait. So so originally right. it focused on on the the family in the house, and then later on the Warrens became more prominent. Right. I mean, this thing has been in development for I, I don't know twenty years or so. What? Yeah. This is. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, was, it was written by somebody named. Uh, Tony, somebody or other, who uh, well, it, he he wrote a treatment for it based on the tape that uh, that Ed Warren played for him uh, of his original uh, interview with oh. uh, what's her name Ava Perone or whatever the name of the. I don't think other. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not. Uh, but but in the twenty years since it's been as it's been in development, it went through this whole bidding war, and then one studio lost it, another studio picked it up. And then it, the focus shifted to the um, to the Warren to the Warren couple instead of to the Perron family, Perron family, however you say it. And so I I totally imagine that doll thing being ginned up so that oh we're going to have them be concerned about their daughter and have to run back and forth so that we feel for them. Well, the, I I see more of the doll thing as, and I don't know, but I just. It, it really did feel a lot like the stuff he was doing in Dead Silence, which was about these possessed ventriloquist dummy <laughs> demons. Well, just, all, all I ever thought about when I saw the doll and then the swirly thing on the mirror was that that clown in uh, right in Poltergeist. Yeah. No, the about, uh, oh. the clown in Saw isn't the clown in Saw. Oh, like, like Saw. Yes. No, you're right, Dingus. Yes, you're right. So that's that's what I, I thought of. But right. I, I don't know if there's anything in particularly original and I don't really care about that because I really liked what it did do. I liked I thought her costumes, uh Vera Farmiga's costumes were fantastic and weird and I thought the the way it was shot it looked like a great yeah, sort yeah. of period filter. I loved the cars. I loved a, there were a lot of little touches I liked. The only thing I didn't like was when the music suddenly got slapped onto it because there's this whole opening section of the movie that doesn't have any music at all and I love that. And then this ridiculous music gets plastered onto it that's telling us what to feel all of a sudden. You, you do know there, there is a point where you know there's not going to be a jump scare now because there's happy music playing. <laughs> like There are points where you know, okay, nothing's going to jump out at this point. The music is definitely letting me know, all right, 
break from being scared time, which just feels cheap. I hate that as well, Dingus. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are making my points for me. How? Because <laughs> it's well, just well, okay. Uh, well, the thing is, I was terrified. I mean, and and I yes, I'm an easy scare and an easy laugh. But when a movie's boring, I'm bored, and I was never I never felt like that during this movie. I, I think James Wan has a really good sense, and he's getting better and better. Because uh, I, I didn't. Uh, did he direct um, Insidious? That was him, right, Kelly Wand? Uh, I didn't see it. I don't see movies. Yeah. So that was Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne and the kid who's comatose. Yeah, that is James Wan. I think he's getting better and better at uh, just uh, ringing a sense of – and ringing in sense – W-R-I-N-G – this sense of, of, of tension and scariness from – mundane things like he's got a really nice slow burn creepiness to the way he shoots stuff uh and i thought that was just clearly an effect here and i think that's a lot of why it it did get good reviews um is that it really feels tense when nothing is happening um and he he plays well with things like that you know clap and go seek game or whatever that was called clap yeah Um, have you ever heard of that game i love the game I don't think it exists. I think it exists. It's a construct of the movie, I'm guessing. Although in 68, maybe that's what parents and kids did. <laughs> it's it's, it's, Marco, it's, it's Marco Polo, but out of a pool, and you only get three Marcos. <laughs> right. I love it. Yeah. It's so great for for being able to have the promise of later scares, because now you're afraid of... Right. You're afraid mm-hmm. of that. It's so awesome. I love that fact. And And plus, you know... You've got a couple of actors who are really good. Uh, well, all, I think all four of the leads are fantastic, yeah. and the girls are really good too. And I think Patrick Wilson is really doing some crazy sort of. If you look, <laughs> if you look at the pictures at the during the credits, you totally see why he talks the way he talks during the movie. I mean, the guy looks like the way he talks. So they're, they're uh, the Warrens, I didn't realize this beforehand, they are, of course, real people, and I think they got famous from the Amityville event, and that was picked up and made into a movie. So, Dingus, when you say this is in development for 20 years, it makes sense that I don't doubt for a second that Ed and Lorraine Warren have been, you know, they're like Whitley Strybers. They're just, like, making this crap up and trying to pawn it into movies and books and whatnot. So it doesn't surprise me at the least that they've been selling this story for, for a while. Um, and, and yeah, it was a little funny to sort of see their actual pictures. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're shysters. I mean, they're snake oil salesmen, uh, uh-huh. clearly. Um, but uh, I... That was one of the things that, uh, I don't know, I would call it fully original, but that I liked this take on it, where it follows the, you know, normally these are the people who come in for the third act. Uh, and I did uh, like this idea that we see them developed in tandem, and we see them as a relationship, we see them discussing their own risks. I like that they didn't go into too much exposition about the, the perils to Lorraine Warren, you know, Vera Farmiga's character. I like that they just sort of let that, they, they put it out there and they let it sit. You know, we never know what she saw and what she went through for those eight days. Like, that was kind of a, a cool way to do it, is to just sort of mention that, let you know there's some stakes there, and then watch those actors. As the So I liked that in tandem we see the exorcists and the exorc- uh, the exorcises. Yeah, exactly. I think it ruined the movie. 
I think that it's they because okay. if you if you show the mediums as being more powerful than the ghost or the demon, then you've lost the horror element completely. Now it's like about them. It's a biopic. So you do feel that, that like early on showing them as having well, and also too, that in the beginning that movie with the doll seems super cheesy to me, and I go, oh, it's going to be like Last Exorcism, where it's like a charlatan kind of guy, because obviously this is. I'm supposed to be goofy. I'm supposed to go. Oh, look! They're scamming these people, and then they're going to get in over their heads. But I wound up being like, we're supposed to take that straight, that movie straight about the doll, right? And uh, I don't. You want don't to, see I, that they've got a real vulnerability about them. Never, especially if it's a true story, and they reported it afterwards. I already know they're going to live. And then, well, it's not a true story, Kelly. But it's a story <laughs> told by people who are selling it by lying about it being true. Right. I mean, that's, again, it's the Whitley Stryber thing. It's, but they can lie more and better. Instead, it's like happy and I hate happy endings in horror movies. I hate sunlight making. Just- but don't you get his? You, you don't buy any of the fear that the couple has. Or any of that groundwork they're laying about if this happens again and all that stuff about I'm not doing this with you in the room or all yeah. that stuff. You don't – none of that? I started to and wanted to, but I think there was a point at which I went – I started predicting with the camera. Like I seem to I seem to like get ahead of his rhythms and his camera angles. And then also there was a point at which mm. where I was thinking they would have just left the house at that point i mean she's got bruises all over her body and she's not saying anything to him or she's she's going crazy or kelly what i think what what, even though we know that they live of course the little title card makes that clear uh it doesn't say this is the warren's final case it says this is one of their most malevolent ones and they haven't talked about it so now we're going to show you uh so you know that they're going to live of course but i think what that gives the movie the purpose it serves uh, is the scenes between Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga where he doesn't want her to be there and she insists on being there. And to me, that's good character development. Yeah. Like watching, writing those scenes and letting the actors really play through the emotion and work with each other, that's what you get out of that idea. And for me, that worked. Like I, I felt that that was one of the assets of this movie. I felt cheated by not seeing what she saw in the Frenchman, possessed drooling Frenchman's eyes. Okay, okay. Uh, payoffs. Maybe in the deleted scenes on the DVD. <laughs> I, th- I found it tepid as horror. Let, yeah. let, let me also say that something else that I don't know about unique, but that I really appreciated watching this, and I don't think I've seen it before. Um, I think it really does something to the action, to the audience perception, to the sense of stakes, to have five daughters and one wife, to only have one guy in the house. You know, there wasn't a token son. Um, and, of course, the, this supposed real case that they're talking about, I imagine that was the way. But just as a dude uh, who has this natural paternal instinct, you know, seeing these five little girls and the wife left alone while he's out on a job, that that was kind of uniquely I, – I just felt uniquely oogie about that. I was like, oh, those poor girls and that poor woman. Um and that just – that I, I, I appreciate it. You know, we talk about female energy on this podcast sometime, and I appreciated that this house at one point was entirely female energy, and there were all these poor girls and this woman uh, at the mercy of this malevolent creature. Uh, well, so he goes – he spends a lot of time by himself in the basement. I go, oh, they're going to go Amityville, and it's going to be him snapping or getting weird or creepy. Oh, God, I'm glad I didn't do that. It doesn't do anything. Well, I, I say I'm glad. But I, also, the, 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 ghosts, the ghost energy was mostly female except for – uh, oh yeah, it was all chicks. What? There were dude ghosts. There were no. Oh, Rory, the little boy, Rory. Right, 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 right. But but the power was all female. Everything was female. Yep, 
Yep. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? A, a chick-centric horror movie. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> and I also liked, too, uh, you know, as far as the actors, I really like Ron Livingston. I mean, he just seems so, like, hapless and beat down yeah. and, and kind of sad and pathetic. Who was the dad in Dark Skies? I can't even remember now. Uh, uh, there's no way to remember. That other no, I know who you're talking about, but, yeah. But it was trying to be the yeah, same kind of part. Yeah, who, it was. Who was that? Come on, help me here. We did uh, uh, Dark no, Skies... Dark Sky's father. It doesn't matter. I think it seems space too. Really? All right. Well, I'll Google it while you guys. I, I honestly don't remember. I just remember how I felt the moment uh, he uh, emerged from the car with that haircut, and I saw his face. Yes. Because I didn't know he was going to appear, and then I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, <laughs> the only the weird thing is that there's a little weird editing in this movie. Is that he's been on this job to, to Florida and back, and you don't get really a sense of that. Josh and, Hamilton. How? Oh, Josh Hamilton? That's his name? Dark that's Skies. Dead, no, that's the Dead Skies guy. The oh, Dark Skies. Dark Skies. <laughs> dead Skies. Uh, and I also don't know how we skip from whatever Lily Taylor is going through to her being in that classroom. I don't know how we got there. Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or how like, she gets out of the basement or... I'm not really too worried about that, but um, what you said, Tom, really intrigues me, this idea, and I think you're totally right, that these two guys are usually, that uh, the Warrens are usually a couple of, of character actors who show up in the third act and act slightly wacky, but we don't know anything about them. And I'm glad that the movie doesn't do that. And especially, I'm especially glad because I love, I love what Patrick Wilson is doing in this. I mean, I think all four of them are great. But what he's doing in particular, what is with his voice, I think is great. And and this was I was sort of set up not to like him because leading up to this, you see him in the Insidious Two trailer. Even though I don't watch trailers, you still see him pop up in this same movie in a trailer yeah, yeah. before this movie starts. So that when this movie starts, I wonder: Are we watching another trailer for another Patrick Wilson movie? Um, and but I love what he does with his voice and. I don't know. I just I loved the period stuff, and I love what the actors were doing in this. And the, all the little girls were great, all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they they really sold the scene with two of them. Like I see him standing right over there. You know, I'm reminded again. It's all derivative. I'm reminded of the awesome Katie Featherstone bit where I can feel its breath yeah. on me. You know that bit. And it's just these. And it's what's up with demons and feet. Uh, what's up with uh, Demons and Feet is that uh, Oren Pelly had a you know did some great stuff with it in Paranormal Activity, uh-oh. so now everybody's ripping it off. Uh, you know whether it's the footprints bit or it's people being dragged by their feet. Uh, you know again even the you, you guys didn't see the last Paranormal Activity, but even the sheet blowing bit where the sheet blows through and then sticks on a vaguely human form. You know that's that's just like there's a the the. Demon and Paranormal Activity, was it four, three? What are we on? And the last one uh, stood under a sheet for a moment. Like you see him standing under a sheet. Demons love sheets, apparently. Wait, in the third one, it's the babysitter, and it's like the ghost in the sheet, and then she turns around and the sheet crumples? Is that what you're Right, about? that's the one, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was kind of a good part. That was a good no, one. Right, right, but then they ripped it off here, where when the sheet, when the yeah. wind is blowing and the sheet blows, and oh, it's sticking on a really tall thing. Oh, there's nothing there. Although, then the camera keeps tracking up, and you see the daughter looking out the window. Which well, that's happy. what I... Which was competent and was cool. Yeah, yeah there was right. cool stuff like that. I think James Wan knows enough about what he's doing, and he's done it long enough and enough times uh, that he's just really good at it. Um, even though, you know what, I, I think Annabelle doll freaked me out. That was freaking mm. creepy. I hated that thing. You know what, though? It looked. It, they never made a joke about how ugly it was. 
or something. Like at least like Chucky thought it was goofy that it was a doll even from the first one. But this movie like is dude, it's a fucking doll and it's like we've never seen a possessed doll in a movie. Tell you one, you need more you need more lamp shading, don't you? <laughs> Uh, I know it's '68, so it was before lampshades. <laughs> uh, how about um, how about this Era? idea of having all of those relics in the house with a kid, <laughs> and the idea that it's kind of like having loaded guns in the house? Yeah, that makes those characters like idiots. And the thing gets out, and then the, there's no, then then it's back in the case again. Wait, so that room doesn't work anymore? And then he like goes up to the case and like nods at it, like, yep. I got you contained, but yeah, it's just exactly. yeah, you would think you would at some point. Yeah, it just seems like once you have a kid, you might change your priority. Actually, that's right. <laughs> I also can't help but think when I watch this movie and you see Patrick Wilson putting up the crucifixes and getting the Bible, and if if demonology, this demonology that he knows, and how the Catholic Church is associated with it, if all of that is vindicate if all of that comes true and you, you sort of realize and see and experience that it's true, wouldn't you be a flippin' devout Christian? Uh, I guess like these people would really be religious people. I mean the movie shows uh, the movie's not gonna show us that. It's a mainstream Hollywood movie. It can't have that. But it, 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 it you know, The Exorcist is the classic example of that where it's a movie about religious faith. Well maybe psychics and religious people can't be part of the same crew or something. Well they they actually make a joke about that. Uh, that's their joke. What's if we're not a church-going family, well, you may want to pr- rethink that. Right, but and that's the thing. It's just a joke. It's not any character development. Right. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, Ed and Lorraine Warren are, are just uh, – they're just showmen, and they're selling crap. Did they forget but, that? The, ter- <laughs> the church ends up failing them anyway, so what, what – I mean. No, they come through late. Well, the church might fail them, Dingus, but the actual theology, the worldview, oh, okay. you know, if this really, if God really did send his only begotten son to redeem you from your sins, like it seems like these people would be really devout Christians uh, based on what they've seen and what they know. But because it's a mainstream movie, uh, it's not really going to, that's that's not what? really going to happen. Wait a minute. Well, I wouldn't be a devout Christian from being in that situation and be like, why weren't you protecting us from the beginning? I mean... Why do, why do I have to ask for your help to keep the chair from going on the ceiling? And then it de- and then the chair gives up, like it gives up on the play. Like, what's it even doing to the little girl with the rocking chair, the daughter? Like it's throwing it furniture. Them. It's yeah. Well, that's, that's something, by the way, that that paranormal activity played with much better is this yeah. idea of it's inhuman. It was never a human being. It's not a ghost. It's something that we cannot understand. You cannot know what it's doing. And this is just a poltergeist flinging furniture for the most part. Or a witch. And in the room, the, never mind. So the house well, doesn't work. Well, is there, is there, there's one shot I'm thinking of where we as film goers are, are allowed to see something that is spooky that nobody else in the movie is. Oh, wait, 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 because I was looking for those, Dingus. When, oh, is it the hands behind Lily Taylor? No, the, the only thing that I'm aware of is when the Annabelle doll isn't in the glass case, and we're the only ones privy to that shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. The daughter can't see it. Is yeah. there anything else like that? Because otherwise, it's everything that the characters see, and so that can be just characters. Yeah, normally I'm I'm pretty sensitive to ghosts playing just for the the camera, uh, and I didn't see much, I, I don't recall anything like that here, but you're right about, hey audience, guess what, Annabelle's not in her case. I don't just, worry, it's not going to pay off at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, because Ed's going to go back in there and go, no, she's in here, and the lock works. Yeah, and then nod at it, and then that's, you're right, okay. <laughs> that's, 
Uh, and there's supposed to be a sequel in the works, and it's like, this movie says at the beginning, this is our most malevolent case, so it's like, we know... Well, it's the most malevolent one, Kelly Wand, that we know of. Oh. Profits. Huh. <laughs> uh, I really liked the staging of the saving of Lily Taylor at the end, where she's almost like in a cage, and they're all having to reach yeah. through various openings into the little crawl space. I, photo. I, I like... I mean, the Goofy, yeah, sure, and Boy, the setup for that was like a Folgers commercial. Like, wasn't that a nice day at the beach? Yeah, it was. How did you know? Uh, like, I just psychic and the smiles. God, that was awful. But yes. uh, I, I just like the staging of that. Uh, you yes. know, they're all having to reach in and hold her, and Ron Livingston is holding his daughter, and Vera Farmiga has her by the head, and uh, just the choreography of, of that scene. Okay, I really, and that. the makeup is gr- How can you not love the makeup and the costuming in this? I mean, I think the costuming... Which I think is what's her name? Kristen Bruno is that who does it? Kristen Burke. Kristen, Kristen Burke does the. I think the costumes are great, and I think the makeup in that last scene, in particular, uh, anything with Lily Taylor's makeup is fantastic. I mean, yeah. this movie has really good editing, costumes, and makeup. Kelly, on what about that shot of? I forget what the Warren's daughter was named, but when the whole, oh, she's in peril sequence, there's a shot down the hallway, up these carpeted steps with this wallpaper with, I, I don't know, like roses on it or whatever, and the little girl in a nightgown which has like strawberries on it, it's just a shot down that hallway. Uh, didn't you love the visual of that? Do you even know what I'm talking about? Like, do you remember that? Uh, it did tap into my fear of strawberries. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. One, two, three. Ah. One, two, three. One, two, three. Her name was Judy. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what else was dumb? Is when uh, the guy, uh, the demonologist extra guy goes, Hey, she's in the basement, like I did in the Opsis. And then it's like, Lily Till goes, Oh, and then jumps like a demon beast to the other cellar. It's like, the house doesn't know where the kid is if the house is haunted. It needs to have the guy on the other team. Good lord. That's what I love, that, <laughs> that, that they, they uh, triangulated, that Drew triangulated her, and the demon's like, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> and they needed him for that. And that That's cop was great. I freaking love that cop. I need a UV light. I need a UV light. Uh, <laughs> Who was that guy, Dingus? Do we know him from anything? I, I don't think so. I mean, he, I stumbled over his name. His name is John Brotherton, but I don't know what else he's been in. You know what? What? What if you were named Shannon Kook? <sighs> Shannon Kook. He's great. Hey, Paul. He just, <laughs> for the third act, you're going to run through the house yelling, uh, yelling <laughs> the name of a month. Well, yeah, that's right. We'll shoot it with a second unit. Uh, you know, there'll, there'll be another person coming to shoot it. You just run around and shoot. You know, yell. We'll shoot. You know, we don't need you to come in today. We'll, we'll edit all that in. <laughs> uh, we're not going to use the same house even. Just run, we're going to have you run through a crate. <laughs> this is the least traumatized haunted family I've ever seen. In Poltergeist, they were just like, oh, they had looked at that and slept in weeks and in dark skies and in this. What are you talking about? Uh, let's let's uh, table that for another time because we are now in our three-by-three oh, yeah. three section. <laughs> uh, this week's three-by-three, three, maybe relating to horror movies, is uh, your your favorite uses of sunlight in a scene, in a movie. Um, I left it vague. Uh, and by the way, I hate this topic. 
What is yours? I know. I was sure I was going to come up with cool, clever things, and I just you have one. You usually do. It's like ah, I'm going to sandbag him with this number one from. from uh, I have one that I like, but it, whatever. No, I hate this topic. So. Dingus and Kelly Wan, it's up to you to come up with clever stuff, and hopefully our, our readers have sent in some good the stuff. The readers always save it. That's what I, I kind of like the reader. Like they sort of fill, carry our water for us. So next week's 3x3 three three will be introduced by Dingus. So Dingus, why don't you start us out by giving us a line from your number three pick? All right, so uh, here's a line from it. Funny thing happened on the way to Mars. Uh... It's got to be a mission to Mars or uh, it's Red Planet. Dingus is a big fan of Val Kilmer. We've narrowed it down to two. Yeah. Mars movies always bomb horribly. Uh, it's 2010. Do they go to Mars in 2010? Or no, they go to yeah, Jupiter. They go to, they go to Europa. Well, which is around Jupiter, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, the circumference of the gas. All these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing there. It's not a world, you stupid alien. That's <laughs> Here's another quote. We... Are dead. Event Horizon. All right, this is Capricorn One. Oh, Tom. And, um, There's no sunlight in Capricorn One. There really isn't. Um, but I, I haven't seen it in forever. I, I've seen a couple of. And I hope I warned you sufficiently. Please tell me you didn't watch it again, Dingus. No, I didn't. Uh, I couldn't find it. Um, but I just remember, and I know there's better. There's better scenes of this particular. Uh, thing that I'm talking about from, and I hope I hope I'm not ruining anything for you guys, but uh, there's better scenes of this from Lawrence of Arabia. But uh, for me, the the I just have this mental picture of um, of James Roland in the desert, looking up at the sun, and just his face and his lips all cracked, and just just that lens flare of that POV shot of him looking up at the sun. Wait a minute, hold on. Dingus, for that whole thing, the, the guy lost in the desert and the sun be- beating down on him, you were picking a crappy Peter Hyams film from the 70s That's over right. Lawrence of Arabia. I'm pick- I am choosing Peter Hyams instead of uh, Steven Spielberg's Lawrence of Arabia. Tom worked Lawrence of Arabia into a role-playing game once with <laughs> a door and so, some yes, door I'm choosing inches. Peter Hyams and, and that moment. Yes, I love that. All right, Kelly Wan, what do you have to beat that? Capricorn One, classic crap from the 70s. Hey, hey, <laughs> how dare you? Exactly, it might even, I take that back. I totally take that back. It might even be from the 80s. <laughs> no. It's not from the 80s. It's not from, from the 1978. Tom, you fetishized that movie as much as I did. You fucking No, he it. actually watched it again, and he can't see it. With you? No. What? He watched it again and he didn't like it? He didn't like I, when David Doyle goes, oh, you've, uh, you're fired. I love that. Come on, David right. Doyle, is that his name? Tom Bosley's name? Wait, Tom is that Bosley. really his name, David Doyle? Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> the only thing that's lame is why, why don't, wouldn't they kill Elliot Gould? Or didn't we already have this conversation? We Are had this right? conversation on the podcast, yeah. Uh, I subject the listener. But yeah, that movie rules and you're an idiot. It's O.J. Simpson's second best work. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let that line lie. But... Uh, you suck it. What about when the barnstormer is yelling, keep your goddamn head down, Elliot Gould? That's funny. And James Brolin. And it's got you, Brenda Vaccaro. And it's got an awesome joke monologue by Sam Waterston. Uh, All right. <laughs> he climbs up a cliff face, he's doing this monologue. Tom the Snake. It's terrifying. <laughs> Helicopters. <laughs> Tom. I'm very upset at you right now. This is ridiculous. All right, well, you can get back at me, Kelly Wan, by having an awesome number three pick for Sunlight in a Movie. 
My number three is in Logan's Run, where the characters come out and the son taught the main characters that domes are dumb and that soul energy is more efficient than suicide. You sure you're not thinking of The Island by Michael Bay? (sighs) They know about the son in that movie. Uh, You've seen The Island. (laughs) No, I was talking about the Michael Caine one. (laughs) They know about the son, the pirates. What are you talking about? I would love to see that Michael Caine Island. I I haven't been able to find that, but I would like to see that. Uh, It's a battle of the Michaels. Who's the other Michael? What Michael did you fight? Michael oh, Bay. I thought you meant in the Michael Caine, the island, he fights another Michael. But I say <laughs> Michael Bay's island versus Michael Caine's island, right? We have to add it all sound. All yeah. right, so Logan's Run, Kelly Wand, uh, haven't seen it, but uh, here, do you know this? The the fellow who wrote the first Bioshock game, a fellow named Ken Levine, um, has actually been hired to do the script for the Logan's Run reboot. What do you think uh, of that? I'm a little jealous of both yeah. Both parties. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought Keanu Reeves was going to be in it a few years ago, but it was in development hell. Ouch. Actually, you know what? I take I take back that ouch. I, I, I'm tired of people slandering Keanu Reeves. He's really uh, good in The Gift and in Speed. And in uh, Constantine, you know? Yeah. And in everything. Bill and Ted's good. Little Buddha's good. Uh, okay, here's, here's my number three pick, and here's why I don't like this topic, is... Uh, I kept thinking of like vampire stuff, and I was like, "Oh God, that's so that's so pedestrian." I don't want to pick some stupid vampire thing, and I just couldn't think. I was trying to think of cool things where like sunlight is playing on an actor's face, and I even have—I don't know what it's from—but I'm picturing somebody is asleep, and there are these little squares of sunlight like shining through a crystal, playing on the actor's face, and the actor wakes up, and something marvelous happens. And I, for for the life of me, I couldn't think, "What is that? What movie is that from?" It's something. I don't know. And I was thinking of cool things where sunlight reflects, and I couldn't come up with any of them. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to pick the thing in Near Dark where they're in the shootout, and the bullets are shooting through the wall, and those little sunlight beams are coming in, and it burns the vampires in Near Dark, a Catherine Bigelow movie. So uh, That's a good one. Does yeah. anybody else have a vampire one? No. Well, but probably. That's, that's the best one. Because well, it's, a kid, <laughs> it's a kid exploding from sunlight, which you never <laughs> That's see. True. That's what Tom's out. I didn't pick the vampire one that I think Dingus might have on his list. I, I didn't either. Uh, Why not? But because, because when you mentioned the topic, you, you said uh, vampires get killed by it, so I just I just knocked that off, even though I love that moment. All right, well, what's the movie where you like a vampire getting killed by sunlight? Which I could, okay, if you're not going to pick it, I'm picking Thirst. Dingus, why don't you explain the scene? Uh, that's a good one. I'm not picking Thirst. That, that, it's not on my list. It would, of course, be Let the Right One In. Uh, uh, remember that? Who Wait, there's no dead vampire. There's suicide by sunlight in that. Well, that, that's not. That's just somebody. That's just an actress being doused with fire. I mean, that's that. I don't know. It's it's her committing suicide because she's no. She knows she's turning into a vampire, and she has him open the window so that she can burst into flames. Eh, that's okay. And let the right one in. <laughs> it's not thirst. I like that. The one at the end of thirst is so because he yeah. drags the girl out there and she tries. Yeah, to she doesn't it. want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like I, that, that one. Yeah, you know that's a great scene and let the right, right one in. But I still, I still like way more what. Uh, he has to take apart the car and she breaks yeah. his fingers. Chan Wook Park, I think. Yeah. Screen his name up. Chan and Kook. Ah, Dingus is so racist. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is a good pick, Dingus, but that, I would definitely go with Thirst. I, I intentionally didn't pick that because I thought you would pick it. So never mind Near Dark, I'm putting Thirst in as my number three. Is that allowed? 
Yes, it uh, is. But now you've just made me think of bullet holes, and and now I'm thinking of Black Sunday. But all right, let's go. What? Oh, wait, that's a good one, too. Dingus is always thinking of Black Sunday. Mm-hmm. Dingus, in that case, what is your number two pick? Because you could change it last minute to Black Sunday. It's the time you see the darts. All right, the, my number two, here's a little bit of dialogue for my number two. There's others, too. How many? <laughs> Loads, sir. Oh, that's a good one. That was going to be my number one pick. Damn. What All right, thanks it? for stealing my number one pick, Dingus. It's a movie we talk about on every other podcast. Yeah. Sorry. It's a, it's, a, it's a perfect sunlight moment. I mean, how can you not choose that? You don't even know it's sun till then. Well, I did choose it, so it's not like I didn't oh, choose so it. So this is your number one? Yeah, sure. Well, we'll jump in. No, you you got here before me. You know the rules. Say the name of the movie. Go ahead. Uh, I will. Actually, let's hear that accent again, Dingus. How did that go? There's others too. How many loads, sir? So racist. So racist. Yes, I agree. Uh, so this is 28 weeks later, uh, directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo. Did you know that? I know that you don't have to say it that way because you sound like a racist. Tom, have you been infected? It's just Juan Carlos Fresnadillo. Just do it like that, Dingus. Just throw it away like it's nothing. All right. Juan Carlos Fresnadillo. This podcast is infectious. In English. <laughs> Juan Carlos Fresnadillo. And oh. um, it's that awesome <laughs> mini zombie movie. Tom's favorite zombie movie is the beginning of 28 Weeks Later. Sure. That's a good one. Uh, and describe the scene. So what's the sunlight? Because well, zombies don't... I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, no. zombies, of course, they're not harmed by sunlight. So why would sunlight matter? Explain this to us. Uh, because people are harmed by sunlight in the future. Because the virus is makes people harmed by sunlight. Kelly Wan, do you they, remember they, the part of the movie? They've totally uh, blanketed that? this house. And what's wonderful about this, as we've talked about many times, is that you think that, that this family, this cobbled-together family, is having their evening meal in darkness. And then the this one girl goes and and I forgot that this is how it happened. I thought it was more frenetic than this that she just moves one of the moves some of the um, the blocking away to reveal that it's sunlight. No, Dingus. Ugh, when's the last time you saw this? <laughs> just a minute ago. She does that after they let the boy in. Yeah. Oh, the reveal is when the boy knocks on the door. It's just people having dinner one night. Because it's dark and it's candle lit, and we know it's a zombie apocalypse, so there's no power. And then there's knocking on the door. And they're like, no, don't open it. And someone's like, yeah, I'm opening it. There's a kid out there who wants us. And they open the door, and then we know that it's daylight. And it's only after that that the girl, who's looking for, I think his name is Jacob? I forget. Who's looking for her boyfriend who went to get for help. She then, after they're talking to the little boy peels that little thing aside to peek outside and you see it and, and you see it's daylight. But you'd already known it's daylight from when they let the little boy in. But it's really more dramatic at that at that point. Right, right. Um, you know what that scared anything in the conjuring? The the peeking into daylight? Yeah. <laughs> no, the old people. But yeah, that's a great I love just you know, that's just such a cool playing with expectation thing and uh, just that Sunlight pouring in that door. Uh, God, I love that scene. Dingus stole my number one pick. All right, thanks, Dingus. Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick for Sunlight in a movie? Uh, My number two pick is the movie Sunshine. Although That's my my number one. Ah, that's a good one. So what what scene are you talking about? See, there's, there's so many different options. So I would think your pick is either... The part where the dude dies on the solar panels, 
Or it's just the idea that of sunlight being addictive to these poor, benighted astronauts. So that's my number two, is the benighted astronaut addiction scene with the sunglasses at the beginning. Great use of the word benighted, Kelly Wand. Is that what I said? What? No, I'm being serious. I, 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 I like to hear the word benighted from time to time. Uh, I was told not to use it at work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest what scene do you pick? It's tough oh. room. Uh, well, I, I just, uh, first of all, I love, I love the quote, uh, that I was going to use, and I forgot that it was used, uh, by a character in 28 Weeks Later that was said by her, and it's what? only dream I ever so- have oh. is the surface of the sun. Every time I shut my eyes is always the same. Wait, what? Somebody says that in 28 Weeks Later? No, she says it oh. in Sunshine, but it's Roseburn. Um, and she's in Troy works later. Ah. She gets uh, so, a lot. So anyway, uh, the 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 scene that I would choose, uh, and I have I have a lot of problems with the final part of this movie. We have a lot of problems with the final part of this movie. That's a very good impression of me. And in fact, I thought you were just doing an impression of me just then. What if zombies did? made that noise? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, Danny Boyle. You three of my name of my voice. Danny Boyle does just such a. A cool, and I think it's Alex Garland too. They do this cool, yeah. different thing with the third act, and everybody's like, "Oh, I don't want that. I just want to see more spaceship stuff." <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't want to see an vulnerable <laughs> <an honorable laughs> serial <laughs> running around. That's <laughs> I don't. I don't understand metaphors in movies. I don't. I don't the bodies. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, Diggs. Go ahead. So, what, what's the scene that you liked? Uh. Uh, so it's when when uh, when Kappa Kappa jumps from uh, Icarus one to Icarus two, uh, and of course Kappa is played by uh, Killian Murphy, and it's it's I love the way that scene plays out. I love the way he's in this bizarre like a mech suit that he can't that. When you see him inside the suit, it's like he's in some sort of sarcophagus because he's moving around and screaming. But of course, you can't hear it. Uh, and that, and the emotion that he does, that he plays as he's jumping across from Icarus One to Icarus Two, and the visual of him uh, framed against the sun. I mean, I just love the way that this movie is shot. And it's, I think, I would think, I mean, obviously I'm not a director of photography, but I would think that having to really frame something like that and shoot it so that it looks so beautiful behind something that is as bright as the sun would be a little bit difficult. Well, and it's not the real uh, sun, though. Oh. You mean they didn't actually go out there? Well, no, they shot it there, but they didn't. They were on the sun shooting at the ship. <laughs> All right, uh, but anyway, that that moment where where Kappa is jumping from ship to ship uh, is my is my favorite uh, moment of sunlight. And I don't know if it's fair to call being on the surface of the sun sunlight, uh, but I just thought of this movie and our many debates about it. As much as I can't stand the third act of it, uh, there's so much to recommend it, and I was just. So freaking in love with this movie until it became a serial killer running around yeah. who's a bull movie. But I love it. I love it so much. The first hour is awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it really should have just ended after the first hour. There's no reason to make a movie that long. It really, there really isn't. It could have been. Yeah. Uh, there's t- no reason to try to do something different with the end. Yeah, there's no reason. Just yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but derivatives okay in uh, the Conjuring. Uh, there's no reason. There is no reason. Uh, <laughs> 
but I and I do love that moment where where he sort of commits suicide. Uh, where Cliff, what's his name, Tom? Clint. <laughs> Tom. No, what's the guy's name? Is he would Clint Clint Mansell? What are you talking about? Uh, Clint. Oh, damn, darn it! Well, the Rock wouldn't it would have sucked at that because you know he'd. I don't know. You keep saying the name Clint. What? I don't know. Clint Howard. Cliff or Clint, and I can't remember his name now. The guy who goes into the 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 sun deck and commits suicide by basically opening up the. The filters. Oh, so. uh, Clifton Collins Jr., except that's not right. Uh, what is his name, Kelly Wand? He's a New Zealand actor. I can't remember him either, but I love him, and I love that moment, too, and I thought that one of you would pick that. But instead, I picked the moment where Kelly Murphy is jumping from ship to ship, and you see the two ships separating, and you see him, this silhouette, as he flies over. So anyway, there you go. Uh, hey, is Clifford the Red Dog red because he's a giant or like because of his condition? No, he's a red sun. Cliff Curtis. Jesus. Cliff Curtis. Damn it. Thank you. That's Clifford the dog's last name? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, my number two pick is similar to the the solar panel repair scene where the sunlight is moving across the surface, uh, but it's in a crappy movie. So, man, I can't – this movie is just ridiculous. But I was reminded of it because there's a a new movie in the franchise coming out. A trailer came up for a Riddick movie. Uh, Franchise. Well, there was Pitch Black, there was, I think it was called Chronicles of Riddick, that second one, and now there's a third one. That's uh, it's also time franchise, though. <laughs> you no, I'm, I'm talking about something different. Actual franchise. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so Riddick also has, I think there's two computer games, there's an animated series, or, or an animated movie, or whatever. But anyway, so in Chronicles of Riddick, which is terrible, and it's especially terrible considering Uh, it's the follow-up to a movie I didn't even really like in the first place. You know, in Pitch Black, there's this idea that every, I don't know, 700 years, there's a little bit of nighttime on this planet, and that's when these flying creatures come out, and it just so happens that these people crash-landed there. They come out, and God knows what they eat. Well, but every night is different depending on what solar system you're in, Kelly Wand. See what I did there? hundred years. Well, I think the deal is, isn't in pitch black, it's like a twin sun, so wherever the planet is, it's never, like, not lit, and there's only, like, uh, every so often, like, every, like, minuscule slice of time, there's a, it has a night time, and that's when those little flying creatures come out. Um, at any rate, so it was kind of a cool concept for a horror movie. I didn't really care for it. Uh, Vin Diesel, I'm fine with him but i'm not i don't buy him as riddick at all like this super tough hardened criminal amoral fellow vin diesel so uh the rock can maybe do it i don't know but vin diesel's like so good-natured and dopey uh like I, i vin diesel is what would happen if i got super buff and shaved my head and decided to play super badass tough action guys i couldn't pull it off either and he's not doing it either uh vin diesel's one of us um uh his Riddick stuff I don't buy at all. So what happens, unfortunately, in Chronicles of Riddick is David Truhy, the guy who did the Pitch Black movie, he decides to make this crazy costume-based extravaganza. It's like some elaborate, incomprehensible space opera, like like the David Lynch Dune movie, but slightly better effects, based on Riddick being the last of this dying race in the galaxy, and there's a prophecy, and uh, I... Uh. Who knows what's going on with Chronicles of Riddick. But at one point in Chronicles of Riddick, they go to a planet. I think the planet's called even – this isn't a joke. It's called Crematorium or Cremarium, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> on this planet, it has, uh... it, it has rapid waves of, of daylight, 
where you go from being a nice, cool, comfortable climate to 700 degrees Fahrenheit in literally seconds. So you have to outrun the sunlight as it moves around this planet. Uh, and, and so there's scenes where they're having to like hide in the rocks and they have to retreat into caves and they have to run for it and outrun the sunlight. And it's really stupid. But at one point, uh, near the end of this action sequence on crematorium or whatever it's called, uh, an actor named Linus Roach, who I really like, he shows up as this mysterious figure who's been chasing them. And he shows up, and he rescues Riddick, who we think is dead, and he brings him into shade, and he starts disrobing, taking all this elaborate, goofy uh, armor stuff off uh, and while he's explaining exposition to Riddick about how you know uh, Riddick uh, is the last of a race, and it turns out he's one of the last of that race as well, Linus Roach. Um, and he tells him some plot stuff, and then you find out the reason that he's been taking all of these pieces of armor off is because he walks out into the sunlight and immolates himself. He has this like ritual suicide on this planet where sunlight every now and then just burns everything on the surface. Uh, and I just love Linus Roach, and you sit through that awful movie, and then at some point a good actor shows up, and he has this cool scene in which he burns himself on the planet's sun. Um, so as much as I thought Chronicles of Riddick was a horrible movie, I really did like the use of sunlight in that scene. I thought you were going to talk about the scene where he, where Vin Diesel has to rescue that girl, so he has to swing. Right. It's like just scene in G.I. Joe. Yeah, and the sunlight. Well, but see, Kelly Wong, before he did it, he's emptied a bunch of water over him. Right, right. So that's stronger than it. Well, that would keep us alive on the sun for at least a minute and a half. And it also means that when she gets put down and there's the dramatic scene where she looks up to make sure he's okay, he turns around slowly and he's literally steaming. Yeah. <laughs> that's just from lust, not from the sun. So it's a metaphor. He outran like he's fast and that strong, like yeah. his bones turned to ash. Well, Kelly Wand, he is the last of the Furians. I also like in that how they act like night vision makes him this one of this. Oh my God, what's he, like night vision somehow super advanced because <laughs> he can see in the night. He has right. the, the dark eyes. Yep. Nobody, nope. Yeah. Nobody else has that. We don't have the technology for that. Nice. Only can do it. Yeah. Super futuristic Vin Diesel. Dingus, your number one pick is Sunshine. Kelly Wan, that leaves you. What is your favorite use but, of sunlight? But I just saw a scene from a movie where the characters were trying to outrun the advancing line of the sun going down. Was it The Mummy Returns? They have to do it in that, too. And it's no, there was another movie where... To- Darn it. Are you thinking of having to outrun the wind in The Happening? No, I'm really not. Um, I don't know which is sillier, but I, but I just remember the the, the yes. line of the sun going down or coming out. It must have been going down where the characters are running to try to get away from it. Ah, oh, darn it! What was that? Yeah, Shyamalan were like one down to that. Like, oh, people out running the sun. I know. I'll just take the sun out and just show them running. <laughs> it's really the weather that makes it. Makes it By the way. Take the sun out. Yeah. <laughs> do you know who played the uh, the serial killer guy at the end of Sunshine? Uh, what's his name? What's the name of the character? It's like Piers Morgan or something. Pinbacker. Pinbacker. Yeah. What's yeah. And what's the actor's name? I don't know. 
A fellow named Mark Strong. Maybe you should rethink uh, your opinion. I'm not sure who that is. Uh, Tell me what, what is your number one pick for use of sunlight in a movie, in a motion picture? If- All right, maybe I broke your topic so that'll make you feel better about your stupid choices. Because my number one is, uh, although they were really good, um, the unmade David Lean movie of Mutiny on the Bounty. <laughs> that he. All right. I have a backup if, if Tom's not going to accept that. Oh, no, no. you Kelly Wan, you can choose whatever you like. Now, the judges might not award you points for your choice, but you can choose whatever you like. Okay, so for three years, David Lane and Robert Bolt, the screenwriter of Lawrence Arabia, tried to make two movies about Meeting on the Bounty. And the first one was called The Lawbreakers. And the second one was called The Long Arm. And then they wrote the scene in the script where like the bounty gets stuck in ice when they go around Cape Horn, and then the sun breaks it really slowly. So that oh, that's like that Dan Simmons book, The Terror. Did you finish that? Good lord, no. <laughs> no one I know did. Everyone starts that book with high hopes and then goes, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not as terrible. I would like to see that though. This, I mean, that's one. Of, that's the cool thing about The Terror is just this as a uh, survival procedural about people in the what 18th century and sailing ships frozen right. in the ice. Yeah. Also, David Lane was like Kurosawa, like he would call off a shoot for the day if the cloud formations weren't right. So David oh, Lane used the actual sun and water and ice, what it would look like. Like like a dogma movie. Uh, I don't know what that is, but yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, dogma, the Lars von Trier, uh, Thomas Vinterland thing where they, they you can only shoot using natural light and found props. And No, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, the Kevin Smith one? Very good. All right, we have from our readers, Soren Hirglund writes, Hi guys, number three, uh, Sunlight as Navigation in The Avengers. An exasperated Nick Fury has to tell an officer how to navigate the old-fashioned way. And the quote that Soren gives us is, Is the sun coming up? Then put it on the left. That was my Samuel Jackson. That's an excellent accent. Thank you. That's super racist. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, shut up, Kelly Wand. You you doing uh, Rinko Kuchinko last oh, week? Oh God, Kuchinko! Is that a paid <laughs> commercial? That's as racist as we get. No, uh, sexist, not racist. <laughs> oh, good point. Uh, I like that pick, Soren. Uh, Soren's number two pick: Sunlight as Seduction. Interesting. Oh, in here's a movie that Dingus didn't understand: Sunlight as Seduction in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Crossing the streams with the previous three by three. Uh, Ricky Tar's. We- oh, this is totally it! Soren, I could kiss you. Ricky Tar's weird little seduction attempt where he plays with Irina's mirror, reflecting the sunlight in her eyes. That's oh, exactly that's the scene I was thinking of. I'm more thinking of Hannah when they're in the tent, but alright, that's fine. Hannah works too, but it's totally. There's that weird, gratuitous shot. Of, there's a shot of the actress, and there's those weird little squares of light on her face, and you realize that Tom Hardy is sort of like blinding her. He's, right. It's kind of a dickish thing when you think of it. Like just sit there with somebody in front of somebody with a mirror and shine the sun in their eyes. Um, well, and, it makes you look and, better, though, because they <laughs> can't see anything. Uh, and Soren's quote from that is I want a new life in the West. Very good. Uh, Soren's number one pick. Sunlight two wests. Is it going to have a third west? Um, no. For this pick, there is no. There are no compass directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the pick is sunlight as God in sunshine. Not only will staring in the sun make you blind, it will also make your skin peel off and cause religious delusions. The quote he writes is. What's strange, Cyril, is that you're the psych officer on this ship, and I'm clearly a lot saner than you are. Compasses don't work in space. 
That's a good slogan for a horror movie. Yep. <laughs> Paul Weimar writes to us, Hi guys, it was inevitable I'd use a vampire film for this 3x3, but I resisted the urge to use more than one. So in that regard, Paul Weimar is just like me. I wrote. I said that part. Paul's number three pick in the movie in the movie Daybreakers, a young vampire girl, unhappy she is trapped as a child, immortal and forever, uses sunlight to end her life. It poignantly sets up the rest of the movie and the dissatisfaction several characters have with their vampiric immortality. Wait, that was the movie with James Franco as that guy in Miami. Nice. I actually saw this, and I don't remember that scene. It said Ethan Hawke. Uh, I don't even remember who else is in it. Uh, and it's like, what if uh, there were vampires and they integrated into society? That's the premise. <laughs> <laughs> Don LaFontaine has nothing on you. That was the pitch. <laughs> uh, Paul's number two pick. Dingus will love this one. It, oh, I love this one. Deb Gummit. It's a love-off. In the Two Towers, as the Urukai and Orc oh, armies... Seem poised to de- seems poised to defeat the heroes at Helm's Gate after a long night of fighting. Gandalf and the cavalry arise in a blaze of dawn light to save the day. Dang. That's a good one. He uses the sun against the trolls, too. So Gandalf's like a sun wizard. Ah, good point. Grace, even yeah, though it's that the ho- of thunder. The horrible Hobbit movie where they totally ruined that scene. Well, yeah, plus, they ripped it off from the book. Plus, it sucks. Plus Paul's, number, Paul's number one pick, Miriam Soren's number one pick, the movie Sunshine, has an interesting use of sunlight in Robert Kappa's technique of immersing himself in the full force of the sun's light as his, ships draws closer, as his ship draws closer and closer to it for brief periods. Best regards, Paul Weimer. Thank you, Paul. We now have Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna. This week, I'm going to use examples of awesome sunlight from commercially huge trilogies. Whoa. <laughs> I can guess one of them. Yep. I thought of this because of my number one, which was the first example I thought of. I will use the IMDb tagline to tease it and let the not and let the not reader guess. I don't know what a not reader is. But, oh, listener. Yeah, exactly. Oh. First off. Oh, right, right. Okay, here you guys go. First off, the return of the great adventure. This is the IMDb or the title of the movie. I think so. I think that's his IMDb tagline. It's not the clear. return of the great adventure. Well, uh, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna writes, too vague? I think so. Uh, well, it's from Raiders of the Lost Ark, he says, and the scene in particular is where the staff of something is used with the headpiece <laughs> of whatever in conjunction with some very helpful sunlight to locate the Well of Souls. It's the headpiece of the Staff of Ra. Uh-huh. He called you out. He, got, he outed you. Uh, Jonathan writes, this is an instance of sunlight directly helping the investigation, and you may be asking yourself, Trilogy? Well, yes, Jonathan says. I agree. Uh, Capricorn well done, 1 played. We all do. Capricorn uh, 1 was the return of the great adventure, wasn't it? The tagline for my second pick, Jonathan writes, is... Or two and three. The, the fellowship is broken. The power of darkness grows. Uh, return of the Sith. Much to the consternation of someone, let us say Kelly Wand for fun, my second choice is The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. During the Battle of the Hornburg, informally known as Battle of Helm's Deep, all hope seems lost for the people of Rohan, but then newly leveled up and multi-class Gandalf the White, using the ever-helpful breaking of the dawn, changes the tide of battle. They never would have won if the sunlight had not attacked the orc's eyeballs. 
Doesn't his magic suck then if he can only do it when the sun rises? Maybe he's the lamest wizard, and it's like Lord of the Rings is so. So Kelly Wan, there's a there's a video game called Lord of the Rings Online. I'm not sure you're aware you're aware of this. And one of the things they struggle with in Lord of the Rings Online. Because when you play World of Warcraft, you're just like popping off spells and you're shooting fireballs and you're summoning dragons and you're and you're shooting little purple beams and bringing up crazy shimmering radiant force fields and all that stuff. Uh, Lord of the Rings is relatively what's called low magic. So Lord of the Rings Online always had to struggle with this idea that, hey, we want you to play this crazy fantasy RPG thing. We want you to play our version of it. But with Lord of the Rings, all that stuff doesn't really fit. Um, so yeah, Gandalf is a very low magic wizard for the most part, except for the whole resurrection thing. Uh, I have heard of the word online, and I also uh, picked a lore master in that game. And then, uh, do you remember got, how you do? You remember how you cast fireballs? I couldn't. Well, you could cast fireballs. I didn't get anything. That's why I thought. That's why I thought your point was like they made a useless class. The fireballs were. They show you the little. I forgot what they were actually called, but the animation is your lore master reaches into a, a packet like a fanny pack or whatever they called them in the ancient days he reaches into it and he throws a burning pine cone, oh, pine cone awesome. and he lights it on fire and throws it i got so back. yeah instead of a fireball you throw burning pine cones um, this girl was all i'll play it with you and i go all right and i go i'm a lore master she goes uh, well, we'll start over then <laughs> she wasn't talking about the game but i can only like make wins and shit with that guy does that happen like So they added a class uh, much to the disappointment of some of us uh, in one of the expansions called a, a Glyph Master or something like that. That's all the traditional like lightning and fireballs and ice rays and all that stuff. So, so they sold out. Oh, they sold out. That game sold out in so many ways. I mean, I, I still like love it. what they did. Yeah. No, not anymore. I mean, I, I you know they sold out by adding that glyph master and by going free to play. They should just they, add ships too. Then it's like spaceships and just completely. <laughs> it's totally should, I know you should be able to get laser guns. Yeah, you yeah. probably can. For all I know, I haven't played it in forever. Uh, at any rate, so yes, Kelly Wand, you're right. Gandalf, as far as wizards go, he could totally get his ass kicked by a wizard in a more high magic. Did the sun kill the Balrog too? Like they fell out of the mountain, and then. Say so, well, we may never know. Check the check the DVD for uh, deletes. Uh, I lost interest, and I wasn't listening. Uh, Jonathan writes for my last choice. One of the vaguer IMDb taglines is somewhere in space. This could all be happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> did it? Did they write that? The movie people? Or? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Jonathan. Got IMDb. Yeah. This might be gags Jonathan has written. I'm not sure because. Oh. The movie is Star Wars One Episode Four: A New Hope. Wait, say the thing. Say the tagline for that again. Somewhere in space, this could all be happening right now. <laughs> wait, the first lines of Star Wars are a long time ago. Or is no, it- wait, wait, time works in space. What as a star you're looking at now is yeah. from millions of years ago. Yep. So, that's, well, wait a that's minute. actually a brilliant tagline. You know, it's like it's like. It's like doing it's like doing time zones. I think I've screwed it up. So therefore, if it's in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago, I think I've done the thing where when I call someone in New York and I think that it's earlier there and I wake them up and screw up. I think I've done the same thing now with Jonathan's tagline. So it's happening right now for them, but not us. No, but it happened millions of years ago. Oh. So they're just saying the same thing differently. Anyway, Jonathan writes, I imagine the groans of millions of podcast listeners suddenly silenced. But I, 
but I stand by the moment where Luke is on his uncle's farm contemplating the future while the John Williams score swells and the two sons of Tatooine set. It's uh. easy to box Star Wars now. I'll say, uh, but I, that was me, Tom Chick. Uh, but it was more meaningful to me in my youth, and will be forevermore. Man, Jonathan, the future. John, Jonathan actually writes forevermore. Uh, he says, "I hope y'all do not think me just picking the low-hanging fruit." Uh, Dingus and I were joking about this before, but that is a great shot, even back then. You know, just something you can make cool sci-fi things uh, by just doing some minor change and just. Putting a CG, not CG, but whatever they did, putting up a second sun, that's a great shot. Yeah. yeah. It did look like a real thing, too. And then never again did he do that, George Lucas. Like, nothing in the th- prequels looks like a real planet. Do we see in the prequels, by the way, when we're on Tatooine, do we ever see the two suns again? Like, does George no. Lucas pulling that out? No, really? No, because the midichlorians took it away. Uh, What's, it's only, they're only good for looking at the future. Philip Torta writes, number three, The Mummy Returns. Oh. Brendan Fraser, outrace, Fraser, Fraser, I don't know how to say his name, outraces the light of the rising sun to get his son into the pyramid at the last second. It's the sun off. Uh, Philip Torta's number two, man, I never heard of this, The Hideous Sun Demon. What's the uh, movie called? <laughs> Uh, and this makes me think it's an animated Hulk short or something. But uh, Philip writes, after a radiation accident, rather than turn into <laughs> Hulk, Gil degenerates into a lizard man in pants whenever he's exposed to sunlight. Wait, that's what radiation does? Makes you sunlight? Oh, here's an awesome one. Dadgummit. Philip's number one pick. This is really good. Uh, Philip's number one pick is Phase 4. Oh. The ants create structures that focus sunlight on the building yeah. the humans are in in order to raise the temperature. It's a turnabout on humans killing ants with a magnifying glass. Yeah, good one. Oh, that's awesome, Philip. Plus, when well played. Well, done. well played. Scott when Andrews writes, Hello, QT3, and thanks for the Pacific Rim podcast re-record last week. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Scott Andrews has two picks. He doesn't number them. Uh, his first pick is, I picked the opening scene of Fifth Element. And his quote is, Aziz, light. Young boy Aziz is holding a mirror to reflect sunlight onto the hieroglyphs in an Egyptian temple in 14. With Perry. That's awesome. He made me think of Hudson Hawk. Thank you. He starts to doze off and lowers the mirror. The professor yells, and Billy, played by Luke Perry, adds another mark to the Aziz light tally. That's funny. Then the Mondo Shawans. Is that a real thing? The Mondo Shawans arrive to collect the fifth element. A good introduction to this fun sci fi comedy. Oh, are the Mondo Shawans those orc things? Yeah. Right. No. Wait. Uh, no, no, it's it's Milojovovich type people wearing goofball masks and shit. I think isn't it? Is that true? Dingus. Right. No, I think of those other things as skexies. So I don't know what you're talking about. They're not or okay. Whatever. Scott's other pick. Uh, my girlfriend, who's mad about the Wachowskis, picks the final scene of. You guys ready for this? Matrix Revolutions. Uh, <sighs> The quote she chooses, a program was written to watch over the trees and the wind, the sunrise, and the sunset. Man, with dialogue like that, who knew? Uh, 
Uh, Scott writes, the final scene has the Oracle, Seraph, and Sati. Who is that? Uh, Who, yeah? The stowaways in the train station. Nope, wrong. Wrong. It's the albino, cornrow, dreadlock twin dudes. No, they get killed off because a car blows up, which they are <laughs> too, apparently. Anyway, the final scene has the Oracle, Seraph, and Sati in a park watching the sunrise. What initially appears as a typical movie ending sunrise is actually a sunrise created by Sati in honor of Neo. Sati was, oh, here she explains. Sati was the little girl slash exiled program that Neo meets in the opening train station scene. So, Kelly Wan, you are wrong to think that it was the henchmen who are albinos with dreadlocks. Sorry. I suck? <laughs> Piece of shit. I apologize. Uh, Nick writes to us, Hi, guys. I chose to interpret uses of sunlight as the director and or cinematographer using sunlight to achieve a particular feeling throughout the movie rather than in a specific scene. Well played, Nick, because his number three pick is, in Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides, the sunlight always looks like it's late afternoon or from an old sepia-toned 70s Polaroid. I don't think 70s Polaroids are sepia-toned, but I get what he's saying. (laughs) Uh, Nick writes, I don't think the movie would work without the mood created by that light. Absolutely, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, he's talking about Terminator? (laughs) Uh, Nick's number two pick in Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Right from the opening shot where there's a harshness to the sunlight, as though every daytime moment were shot at high noon. It not only evokes a city in drought, but it makes the day scenes feel hot and uncomfortable, and the shadows are that much darker. That's a good pick. I was thinking, too, I was trying to think of a scene. I actually went back and watched the sniper scene in Born Identity. So I was trying to think of a scene where, like, the sunlight glints off something. Like, all I could think of was that stupid mirror in the cell where uh, Jennifer Lopez, mm. like, was being signaled. But uh, I was thinking, well, is there, like, a glint of sunlight on the, the sand crawler? The sand crawler, very good. Kelly <laughs> Jesus. Over uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Nice work, Kelly Wand. Just Tom. Well, one of the things I was thinking of is, is when, uh, is there a sunlight glint? There probably isn't. When Jack Nicholson sees the murder victim's glasses in John Huston's uh, garden pool, do you guys know what I'm talking about? And the, the Asian guy is saying, bad for glass. What a bad for glass. That's, so, that's so much more racist than my Rinko. Could she it's in the it? movie. It's in the movie. It's, uh, and, and Jack Nicholson even makes fun of him. He's talking about how the water's bad for the grass because it's got oil in it, I think. Um, wait, but wait, anyway, wait. Wait. He finds the glasses underwater. I, was, I wanted to go back and look. Is there a glint of sunlight off that? Chinatown? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Because that's where he realizes that John Houston was involved as he finds the murdered man's glasses. At any rate, uh, uh, in Roman Polanski's Chinatown, right from the – oh, I mentioned that. So uh, Nick picks Chinatown. I was trying to think if there was a glint of light on those glasses and couldn't recall. All right, Nick's number one pick. Sunlight is at its most beautiful during the golden hour, those moments at dusk or dawn, and no movie has captured this better than Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. I love the feeling of lonely nostalgia that the light from this film evokes. I don't know about no movie capturing it better, but certainly some movies have rivaled it, and I think, for instance, of Tree of Life, (laughs) uh, maybe Thin Red Line, uh, Dingus, you're proponent of new world there's probably a lot of like magical hour stuff in new world uh yeah there is but as soon as that as soon as you started talking i thought of uh days of heaven. yeah the sun's the opposite of the thin red line hmm i'm gonna i'm gonna ponder that kelly wand while you guys tell me about your runners up 
Uh, My number one runner-up of one is in the movie Miracle Mile, where they're kind (laughs) of dreading the sun because they know it's going to be the last sunrise they see before nuclear bombs. Uh, Except they're not bombs or missiles. Whatever, nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dingus, any runners-up? I'm... Ashamed to say that the the sunlight going through the uh, the amulet of the staff on top of the staff of Ra was one of my favorites too. I mean that's a great use of sunlight. Yep, yep, good. Well, uh, readers did not disappoint. Thanks for and that phase four yeah. pick was inspired. Well done. Uh, all right, what do we have for our three by three next week? Dingus. Yeah, it's your turn. Yeah. All right, bear with me here. Um, one of the things I loved when watching that scene from uh, the my pick of Sunshine uh, was the way uh, do you guys remember that scene where he's jumping from Icarus 1 to Icarus 2? Exactly. I get it mixed up with the Event Horizon jump where he has to jump through non-oxygen. And there's a, there's a, a 2001 jump like that too. Yeah. yeah. In, in this one he has to get in this suit where I mean it seems like this big metallic suit that he can actually move in and when the way the scene is shot it's almost like when you see him you can see him inside the suit moving around uh, which is weird if you guys ever do get to see Europa Report there's sort of a weird uh, juxtaposition between what's going on in the sunlight or what's going on outside the ship, and what's going on when they're in suits, and when you can see like the character's face inside of the suit. I mean, it's got to be a difficult thing to do if you're going to shoot somebody outside of a suit where you can't see them, and then shoot what's going on with their facial expression expressions inside the suit. So in this in this ginormous suit that that's going to protect Kelly and Murphy's character Kava from the sun. I mean, it's it's big enough and bulky enough that you can sort of shoot the inside and see his uh, hit what's going on with him inside of it. Um, and, and the thing that struck me is that you can't hear what he's expressing, and some of that might be sort of in uh, I, I don't know, might be paying service to the idea of what you can't hear in space. I don't know, um, but you expect to hear this character screaming or yelling or something, but you can't hear anything. He's silent. And instead, you just hear this great John Murphy... I think it's John Murphy doing that soundtrack. Didn't, didn't John Murphy do Sunshine? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's just an amazing soundtrack. I, yeah, it, it's got to be John Murphy. Um, and instead, you hear that. And and uh, and so, this 3x3 three three is... is um, I don't know how to... Quite how to couch it. I was going to call it... <laughs> I was going to call it moments of silence, but that sounds a little weird. But but it's it's basically when you expect to hear something and you don't. So it's when a when a when a character would yell but you can't hear them, or when an explosion happens but you can't hear it. And so it's your favorite moments where you should hear something but you don't. And so when Killian Murphy is jumping from ship to ship, and there are these couple of moments where he's just you you see the inside of the suit and. He's screaming and you can't hear anything, and and you see like him s- just like dr- this spittle coming out of his mouth because he's emoting so hard, and you hear nothing from him but the soundtrack. So it's it's your favorite moments in a movie where you should hear something but you don't. Kelly Wand, uh, if you have any questions about this, you don't get to ask them <laughs> because in space, no one can hear my questions. <laughs> 
Uh, listeners, if you have ideas for moments in movies when you should hear something but you don't, uh, send your picks to us at 3 by 3 at quarter to 3 dot com. That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at, and then you spell out quarter to 3 dot com. Uh, we would love to read them on the air. Also, if you got some free time this coming weekend, go see... Uh, I've blanked. What do we see next week? <laughs> we are seeing Wolverine. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Wolverine. Good yeah, Lord. How can I... The Batman Returns. <laughs> yeah, of course. Go see The Wolverine. That's Superman. Um, uh, Kelly, who wrote this movie? I don't know. All right. Uh, we'll find but out soon enough. I don't think either of you guys knows. Uh, see The Wolverine. We will be discussing that next week, as well as uh, bringing up our three by three of times you should hear something but don't and reading your submissions. Uh, also, uh, like us on iTunes, please. Each and every person who likes us on iTunes, we may or may not give you a dollar. Oh, wait a minute. You don't like what? us on iTunes. Dad, I'm going to screw up. Rate us on iTunes. Just don't like us when you rate us. Uh, you can like us as much as you want, but please, we, we like your uh, iTunes ratings. Please do those wait, for us. Wait, and they'll get a dollar? Or? They may or may not get a dollar. Hmm. So, See? may not get a dollar. See, can I want, can I want, I'm, I'm, it's what's called cover your ass. See? They're just gonna write, "Where's my fucking dollar check?" And it's and I'm gonna say, right, right, right. No, no, I know, but I'm just gonna say, I will remind them. I'll send them an email back and say, "But I said you may or may not. You are part of the may not. See, they don't know." Are you gonna whisper it like that? No, 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 I'm just doing this so that they don't hear. I'm just, I'm just talking just between you and me. See, I'm just gonna send them a dollar. Feel bad about it. <laughs> oh, do you hear that? So if you rate us on iTunes, Kelly Wands has said he will send you a dollar. Maybe five. <laughs> or may or may not said you fine. So thanks for being here this week. Join us next week. I'm Tom Chick. I've been joined by uh, Christian Marlowski. It's Christian Marlowski. I, I know how to pronounce it. And Kelly Wand. In space, ghosts haunting you with claps aren't a problem. But what's going on, Kelly Wand? All right, so this is what separates L.A. from Canada. I was in a sauna, and I heard a guy screaming, Dude, nice genus. But he meant it was like a nice pass. Like in any other city, it would pass. Oh. Really nice size. What's your bench? no Easter eggs this week, as usual. Stop uh, farting. It really stinks.